Greetings, music and movie lovers. I am Graham Stevens, co-host of Soundcheck Flicks, presented by the Casbah San Diego. Each week, my co-host Tim Piles and I will sit down with the musicians we love to discuss the movies we love. For our premiere episode, we'll be sitting down with our good friend Letty Beers to discuss the 1979 classic Ramones film, Rock and Roll High School. We love this movie and think you will too. Give it a watch and come back for a fun, lively conversation. Thank you for joining us in our new podcast. We dedicate this episode to our good friend, Rick Froberg. Hello and welcome to the Casbah, our new podcast. It is called Soundchecks Flicks. It is the brainchild of my co-host, Graham Stevens. Graham, please tell us about this exciting new endeavor we're doing here at the Casbah. Under Jesus, of course. <laughs> With googly eyes. He has googly eyes He's now. got the everything everywhere all at once eyes. I didn't notice that. Uh, yeah. Hi, I'm Graham Stevens. I work here at the Casbah. I have been here for 15 years. I work the stage. I work the front door. I work the mosh pit. I work wherever they need me. <laughs> this this is my home. I dearly love this place. And for a little over a year now, well, it's the seeds of this were a few years back because I've sat on that patio for 15 years talking with bands at Soundcheck about movies. I mean, it's the funnest thing to talk about. They always have opinions. They watch them in the green room. They watch them in the van. It's an all-day thing for them when they're on the road because they got nothing else to do. And so they love to talk about it. And, you know, whether it's uh, Oscar night with Cursive here or talking Purple Rain with Al Howard or, you know, the BattleBots guys used to come in and we would talk about Friday or House Party or whatever. Like, they always... The conversations were just always so animated and fun. And I was just like, these guys really love movies and we need to capture this. So if we're going to do a Casbah podcast, it doesn't need to be the same old tired, boring, what's your musical influences, blah, blah, blah. I've been on the road with bands. They hate that. They hate those same old interviews. But when you give them a chance to talk about something they love, especially if it's something from their formative years, that means a lot to them. You could just pull the string and it's Chatty Cathy. They're not going to stop talking. And that's basically what we're going to do here. We're going to sit down with a favorite friend, of, a friend of ours, one of your favorite artists. And each week we're going to sit down and talk about a movie that they love. And you're going to see their personality come out. Trust me on this. Um, it's it's going to shine. I mean, you're going to see these people just light up whenever they get to talk about it. I think you're lighting up right now. I am, dude. Rock and Roll High School gets me. like a little kid. Rock and Roll High School gets me excited. Movies do this to you. You're a former Blockbuster employee, right? I am. I I spent the 90s in the Blockbuster video trenches uh, before I moved over to Suncoast in the mall. So I got the mall culture, too. But This is back in Kansas City? This is the 90s. Yeah, this is back in Kansas. So, uh, yeah, I spent the 90s in a video store. And I could tell a lot about a person by the kind of movies they'd come in and ask for. I mean, if you come in and ask, you know, for like Vin Diesel movies or something, you're pretty basic. I mean, but <laughs> I, I, I just, it's true. But, you know, if you're coming in and you're asking for Wes Anderson or something like that, I'm like, okay, you know, a little more discriminating, a little more artsy. Midwest. Yeah. So uh, I felt like you could always tell a lot about a person by the kind of movie they picked. So when it comes to this, you know, it's like, I just feel like it's going to come right through. You know, we're going to see them. We've already, you know, lining up our early episodes, you know. We, you know, we got Seton from Well, Well, Well coming in. He's a surfer. He loves Point Break. So, yep. you know, there's little things like that. These guys that grew up with these movies and it meant a lot to the culture of their growing up, they're going to just tap right into that. And we're going to see that. And it's it's wonderful. The Abyss as well. I'm kind of excited about that one. 
<laughs> yeah. which strangely had a, a the best considering, incident. Yeah. Especially considering the submersible Rest recently. Rest in peace. That is terrible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're going to sit down with our friends every week. We're going to get into this. Um, you know, we're going to find our way. We're not, you know, you're the only professional on this set. Like, <laughs> If you want to say that. If right, I want to say that. Uh, we're... We're finding the our professionals way. in between us taking well, that's taking true. their sounds around true. the world internationally. You know that is very true. But We're you know, in, everybody that works on here is from this crew. You book shows here. Yep. I work the stage. Eric Lucero's our sound guy. Orion's our video guy. I mean, Armanda's our backstage wizard. Like everybody that works on this podcast is from here. So I'm really proud of that. It, it's, it's a RT. family affair. It's it is. And but you're our you're our leader because you are the I mean, you're the king of, of film attending here for sure. I'm I'm just trying to catch up with you. A I do bit. have an AMC A list. Uh, what subscription. is that? <laughs> is I that... get three movies a week. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're gonna do a commercial for them right now. Well, why not? Oh, yeah, why not? I get three movies a week for twenty five bucks a month. I mean, yeah. in the theater, that's pretty good. I never use all three. I mean, huh. there's not enough stuff coming out, yeah, but still, yeah. I'm that much of a nerd about it. Like, I go see everything. So. Um, I am so excited to do this. This this is just going to be wonderful. I it's felt like my our whole time here has been building to this moment. Like, well, let's get started. Let's get started. Letty from Schizophonics, you are our first guest. Thanks so much for yes. having me, guys. <laughs> I am so happy to have you. You you were the first guest. Um, you were always the first one we had in mind when when I sat down with Eric and Amanda last summer. I mean, oh my God, nine months ago, the the first person that came up when we were like, okay, we're going to do Rock and Roll High School first. Who do we want? Boom, Letty Schizophonics. It was it was the first answer, and it came to fruition. Oh, I should have worn my cheerleading I mean, outfit today. she's Riff Randall. <laughs> she is Riff Randall. You're, you... That was my role model. Yeah. As a teenage kid, first time I saw that movie, I was like, that is me. This is in Arizona? In Arizona. Arizona okay. I grew up in a very small town, no music scene, no shows, nothing. Um, I We had a... Saturday nights, there was a, a ska punk radio show where they would play like the Descendants, the Ramones, the Muffs. And that's where I started getting into like good rock and roll. Yeah. And um, I would always drive to Phoenix for shows. And like in my town where I would go to high school and stuff, like there was no one else with similar interests or, or really knew about that type of music. So watching that film... I, I don't remember where I got it from. I either got it, found it at a thrift store or one of the kids from the Phoenix shows let me borrow it. But watching it, I was like, oh, my God. It was a <laughs> life changer just seeing that there's more people like that out there. There's a community of us out there. And it, it took a long, long time to get here. But the Casbah is my rock and roll high school. And it's so funny. It, it comes full circle, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I grew up on the prairie and I kind of can relate to what you're talking about being no one's coming to your town. Yep. You can't relate to the kids in your high school and you're listening to music that everyone else isn't listening to. Yeah. And you just feel like an odd duck. And at some point you're just like, I got to leave for the big city. Yeah. <laughs> but even even in the movie, like just getting so obsessed with music the way she did, like that's that's my life, man. We're lucky to catch you at home actually right now. I, I know. feel like you're on the road constantly now i'm home all summer man yeah, let's hang really? out yeah okay we're gonna be working on a new record this summer and um patrick's doing an art show at warshaw's provisions oh cool so that'll be wow, happening we get you all summer long that's all crazy all summer long you just did a big tour with the correts as well huh? yeah we toured with the correts we did some shows with the d4 
um, in, down in New Zealand and in Australia, we were doing some shows with the Unknowns, wow. which is uh, another band that two of the guys from the chats are in. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, nice. That big tour's coming up, of course. Oh, yeah. And then you guys have got a show coming up at the Ken? At the Ken, for Bobby and the Pins. Yeah. And Bobby and the Pins was just San Diego made-up band because we were all home one summer. Right. And we we just always have to do something silly like that. Yeah. So Bobby and the Pins is playing with me first and the Gimme Gimmies in a few weeks. Oof. And that, like you said, is a, the no pre-sale. You're going to line up. Old yep. school style. You got like a dip in the movie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Definitely have to get footage of all the people in line for that show. I want to cruise up in the car like the Ramones did while people are in line. I'm going to see if I can rig that you can up. just bang your drumsticks like Marky. Oh, yeah, know. just tap them together. <laughs> Sounded so good. It's so good. Looking for the girl in the uh, lounger chair like with, yeah. a cut, with a cutout of Bobby and the Pins. Like. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, let's, uh, let's get into this movie. Do you, let's talk about the soundtrack. I was re-watching it because I was going to do the show. I think that's probably the first time I ever heard the MC5. Really? Yeah. Because I saw it when I was in Casa Grande, and I'd never heard. I don't remember the first time I learned of MC5, but they were in that movie. Yeah, high yeah. school. Yeah. I um, was fascinated Paul McCartney. Yeah. And I don't, I did not remember that. I'm like, this is Paul McCartney on the yeah. soundtrack. And right wings. at the beginning. Yeah. Yep. It really yeah. kind of sets a bar. It's like, well, this is it weird. It is a bit weird because Sheena's a punk rocker. It rolls over the opening credits about two or three minutes into it. But it does have that first song you hear is a yeah. Paul McCartney song. So it throws you for a minute. And it, I guess that's setting the Vince Lombardi high school scene. Sure, sure. That, you know, this is the principal and sh their rock and roll is taking over the school. And, and you know, principal's got to stop it. And so they bring it in a new principal. So here comes Togar. So, uh with Tweedledum and Tweedledee, those guys kill me. Oh, those guys. They're hilarious. Secret weird affair going on between her and one of them. That was yeah. kind of weird, too. Yeah. She's moralizing. In that typical, she's moralizing to everyone else, and yet she's kind of got something going on with one of those creepsters. <laughs> yeah, they're <hard>. <laughs> definitely <laughs> creatures. But yeah, they break out into Sheena's a punk rocker on that, and Riff has stolen the music department's record player. She's in the quad. Yep. Actually, I'm willing to bet Kate might have stole that. Kate's low key cool. We're gonna talk about her later, but Kate Rambo. Kate Rambo, she dives on the grenade immediately. Like as soon as Togar walks out on the patio there at yeah. the beginning, and they're listening to Sheena as a punk rocker, they cut the music. She's like, "Who's responsible for this?" He's ready Before to take the fall. Riff can even stand up and put her hand out to shake, yeah. Kate's like, "Oh no, I did it." Kate's a dog. Like, <laughs> I mean, she's down. She is so awesome, and she's just hiding behind those guys. She's the original Lainey Boggs. She's all that. Yeah. Rachel Lee Cook. Yeah. Because Kate's gorgeous, and they're hiding her behind these glasses and these frumpy outfits. She and knows it's like, what she wants. She's pretty determined. You know? Sadly, she wants Tom, who's kind of a dork. You know, Eagle Burger, right? Is that his oh, name? no, no. Eagle Bauer is Eagle Bauer. Clint Howard. Yeah, yeah, I know, but I'm saying when he first uh, visits uh, Eagle Bauer, her, he has her Eagle oil Bauer, painting like, Eagle or Bauer, whatever it yeah. was. Eagle Bauer has her interest in mind right then because when she visits Eagle Bauer and says, I have a crush on Tom— he has, you know, she's ready. He's ready to help her out. And Eagle Bauer has her picture hanging and pitches her to Tom when he comes in. I mean, Eagle Bauer's facilitating, and Tom's resistant because he likes Riff, her friend. Yeah, yeah. Ain't that some bullshit? Even when they're in the car, 
doing like the makeout lane scene where right. he's like showing them how to do a, a date and how to neck with the doll. Right. Like she unbuttons her blouse and like flashes it. It's so cute when like, she does it too. Yeah. I love like I that. Said, she knows what she wants. <laughs> and he's just resistant and he's such a dork. Oh, like so he good. walks up to that girl asking her about the weather in how Idaho about the and weather? pulling on her belt. I'm like, you are canceled these days. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, it's weird too. Here's a here's the crazy thing about Tom too. So many times in these movies, the head of the football team is like either a bully or like a Jake Ryan style stud. And this guy is an absolute loser and everybody in the school knows he's a loser, yet somehow he's the captain of the football team. Interesting. I never looked at it that way. It is a bit yeah. weird. It you know, they they changed the dynamic on that one. Let's get into Kate Rambo. So, yeah, I, I just got to write a love letter to Kate real quick. So it's not only that she's always there for riff, like when they're doing the dance sequence in the gym, when the girls go crazy and they're doing, you know, riff is written rock and roll high school and they're all in there and PJ's singing it. And, you know, Rambo's kind of walking around the room, but she's not really dancing like the rest of the girls. And then when the principal comes to break it all up, She's the one that notices the principal coming, and she runs in and gets him to start doing the regular calisthenics. Uh-huh. And uh, Kate just always seems to be there. Kate, Kate rigs up the school at the end. I mean, good lord! Like Kate is responsible for the school being blown up at the end of the film. Like she's like the facilitator. Absolutely, yeah. she's so low key cool that Riff's just getting all the attention. Right down to Tom being into Riff, and he's not noticing how amazing Kate is. And Kate's just so low-key cool, I can't even stand it. When they go to dress for the Ramones concert, and Riff and Kate are coming back for the Ramones concert, she has the polka dot cape on. Yeah. And she takes her glasses. This is her This is her. she's all that moment. Yeah, she yeah. takes the glasses off, and she's yep. suddenly a whole different person. And she has that funny <laughs> little sci-fi belt on that mm-hmm. lights up. That's a prop from another Roger Corman movie that they just threw on her. What for movie? The, It was some weird spelled sci-fi movie. I I don't even know how to pronounce it. But it was some uh, movie from a few years before that one. And they still had the prop. And so they just threw it on her to wear it. There's also the guys riding the motorcycle around the show in that same scene. The the two. Uh uh, Franz Gretel and Hans Fretel, whatever it is. That sidecar, that was amazing. (laughs) That motorcycle is from a, a previous Roger Corman film, Death Sport. And they're just they're just regurgitating these props in that scene. But I love that belt that, that Kate's wearing because it's so funny. Because when she gets up there on stage and they introduce them as the radio contest winners, yes. she pushes a button on one side. It's, it happens so fast you don't even notice it. She pushes a button on one side and these little confetti dots spray out of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. I missed it. I got to rewatch it again. Yeah, it happens yeah. really quick. <laughs> but you're like, just Yeah, that's how you miss Huey Lewis and Rodney on the Rock in this film. The cameos so are bad. there. Uh, yeah, Huey Lewis. More cameos, Huey's but. right over Togar's shoulder through the last part of the film when she's burning records and the high school blows up and everything. I got to ask you about that. You work at Vinyl Junkies. How traumatic was the burning records scene? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting there watching that scene and it's bothering me. And I'm like, oh my God, Letty's coming on. She works in a record store. <laughs> that scene's got to be traumatic for her. What I mean, other records were in that pile besides Ramon's records? Were you able to pick out anything? Yeah, there was, was there the Who. Stones? There was the Rolling Who. Stones, Who, Bob Dylan. Yeah, yeah, Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan, that was a weird one. Yeah. Why are you burning Bob Dylan? Like, But here's here's the other sellout on that. Those are Riff's records. 
Like, her name is written on the front of those records that are burning. Her parents turned her records over to the principal. <laughs> Dang. That is horrible. She got sold out her record collection by her own parents. Do we ever see her parents in the movie? No, no not once. Oh, okay. Which justifies Riff breaking out a chainsaw at the end and going to work yeah. on her permanent record. Because, <laughs> my God, you just destroyed her record collection. I mean, she has every right to go insane on you right now. That's the worst thing you could do. The burning records. Yeah. Yeah, it's like burning books. Are you kidding me? Like your third right to is, do it, you she know. She calls it the final solution. Like when they start burning them, I'm like, Jesus, what is going on here? Like it's uh, took a 70s. dark turn all of a sudden. Yeah. The 70s, I love it. Did you know that actually it could have starred Cheap Trick or Todd Rundgren? They ran through oh. a, as the band. Yep. As the musical part of it, I mean, and cheap, not the Ramones. Cheap Trick would have been okay. Yeah. But the Ramones are perfect for it. The Ramones were suggested by Paul Bartell, one of the actors in the film, when they could Mr. McCree. Cheap Trick and Todd Rundgren. Paul Bartell is also amazing. Cheap Trick would have been interesting. Yeah, they're characters. You know, there was the two studs and the two duds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What? The two duds? Well, they were of the moment, too. Like, right that moment in 78 when they're casting this, Cheap Trick is released live at Budokan and they're on top. Yeah, they're massive. They went through a few people. This all goes back to Alan Arkish working at the Fillmore East in uh, New York City. He's he's the guy in the green shirt at the Ramon show that's taking tickets and talking junk to the people coming in. He's not going to let the mouse in because you're exploding. (laughs) Right. But then, oh, I got some headphones. Cool, put them on. Come on in. But the kid that's stoned somehow can't come into the show. That blew my mind. Like, the band who sniffs glue can somehow come in, but but the kid who smoked a joint yeah. outside is too stoned to come in. Come on, man. But that's Alan Arkish. And so Alan Arkish was raised on the Rolling Stones and the Who, and you know he loved Todd Rundgren. So that's how that came into play. He wanted Todd Rundgren. Mm. And Rundgren turned it down. And I've heard that he he's regretted it. He said that I regret turning that down. But, but then they kind of moved on. Uh, Arkish loved the Who, but come on, they're too big. Right. Um, and so they started moving on to others. Cheap Trick definitely popped up. Um, there was even talks about it, and for whatever reason, it just didn't happen. They moved to Devo. Oh, that would have been neat. That would have been interesting, but it's a little... Even Arkish kind of spotted that one. He's like, they're, they're kind of their own niche. Like, yeah. it might be a bit too niche for us. And uh, crazy enough, they, they right after that, it was Van Halen for a second. <laughs> I was going to say, that, I mean, Diamond Day. Diamond Day. That would, uh, might have been pretty good. That would have been uh, fucking great. That would have been really pretty good because that's Van Halen, like young Van Halen. That's young lion Van Halen. So um, they were in there for an instant, but I kind of, but they were also warned that these guys are wild. And I think that was where Arkish and Corman were like, eh, we don't need all that. And somebody, I think Paul Bartel, suggested the Ramones. And of course, Arkish knew him from New York when he was working in the scene back there. So, as soon as the Ramones were brought up, he was like, oh, hell yes. Like, are you kidding me? Let's do this. Like, they hit up the Ramones, and they got them, the Ramones, the music, everything, all in for 25 grand. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. 25 grand. What a bargain. Because I guarantee you Cheap Trick and Rungroom are going to cost more than that, and Van Halen for sure. Like, yeah. no way. So they get them all in for that price, and we're off and running. I mean, these these behind the scenes stories are just kind of fascinating. Some of the stuff that was going on there, like PJ Souls at that moment, she's having her moment. Like our Riff Randall, she's this is her at peak powers. Yeah. Like she's she's done Carrie, she's 
she's done she's around the same time she's doing private benjamin like she's getting ready to do stripes like she's halloween had just come out i mean she's this is peak pj right here the funny the in our research one of the things that really made me laugh you know to myself was she's married to dennis quaid at this moment so dennis quaid isn't a thing yet right stuff hasn't come out it's still a few years away so dennis quaid is just a struggling young actor pj is the star of that relationship Huh. I love that because, of course, he went on to be a bigger star in, later on. But in that moment, she's the bigger star, and I absolutely love that. He's running around the set. He's just hanging out. Dennis Quaid's hanging out at Rock and Roll High School with is the he, Ramones. Does he have any awesome. scenes in the background or anything? <laughs> I, no? I did notice him anywhere in the credits. I got to believe he's in one of those scenes because he's just hanging out. Right, yeah. and like maybe the crowd scene Yeah, or he's a nobody. He has to be in one of those scenes somewhere. Um, like Huey just peeking over the shoulder. Dean Cundy, the director of photography. Oh my God, this guy, the talent on this movie is insane. You see this little Roger Corman, $100,000 movie, whatever it was to produce it. And there's just so much talent that would go on to do something else on this. James Cameron, Mr. Avatar Titanic is a personal assistant on this movie. Right. <laughs> he's getting muffins for PJ Souls. Like he's doing that kind of work. Joe Dante gremlins director of the gremlins movies which are near and dear to my heart writes this movie he's on the set he directs some of the scenes he directs the uh, the um gym scene with all the girls oh so, so cundy to put this into perspective dean cundy the guy cutting his teeth on the photography of this movie this guy goes on to shoot halloween the fog escape from new york the thing he's clearly a john carpenter guy back to the future who framed roger rabbit roadhouse jurassic park I mean, this guy. I've seen all those. You seen all those, Letty? Seen a few yeah. of those on that list. Yeah. <laughs> that guy might be the best director of photography ever, and he's working on this film. Like the talent level that's on this set is just insane. But Roger Corman, come on, his films. Roger Corman and Roger. This is what's so beautiful about Roger Corman, and everybody always complains about his small budget movies that he made. We're a Roger Corman movie. I mean, Casbah is a Roger <laughs> Corman movie, and like we're In done on life. a budget, but we're balling above what we are. Like, and that's that's what. That's what Roger Corman is. I mean, he gave us Ron Howard, George Lucas, so many others. Like, so many big-name directors were brought to us by that guy. Like, he if there is a patron saint producer of this podcast, it is absolutely Roger Corman. I mean, Death Race 2000, that's, that's probably my favorite Roger Corman movie that isn't Rock and Roll High School. But Paul Bartell directs that one. We've got Paul Bartell in this one. He's Mr. McGree. He's the awesome music teacher. You know, he says that funny line about, you know, I don't I don't know about your music and you're making mice explode, but I think you're the Beethoven of your time. Like, oh, yeah. I love that guy. That's the best. He's so good. When he gets his ticket and uh, he comes into the concert, and the first thing he says to the kids in the hallways, got some glue? <laughs> <laughs> he just had this wicked sense of humor. He was such a funny man, and, and we lost him a little bit too soon. He died around 2000, but Paul Bartel was great. And Roger Corman did direct a lot of films or was involved in a lot of films. So many. A lot of good underground, late night, grindhouse type f movies, right? Oh, he did all those nurse movies. And uh, Okay, so with Corman, there was always a lot of the Wild Angels. Yeah, Night Nurses, Candy Striper Nurses. There was a lot of he TNA with him. I mean, Piranha? Piranha, for sure. A Bucket of Blood, Bloody Mama, Attack of the Crab Monsters. I haven't seen a bunch of those. Right? <laughs> Premature just... burial. Carnosaur. If I feel like there's a weak part in this movie, it is Vincent Van Patten. It's Tom. I mean, it's not just that his character. It's just 
Well, like I you know. said, it's funny that the jock guy is not uh, a, a bro or, right. or a, a I just feel abuser. like He's there's, just, there's guys uh, running around Hollywood right at that moment that might have been better. Daddy Dick had to help him get some gig somewhere. I mean, And that's exactly how it happens. It's all about that name, Van Patten. His daddy, Dick Van Patten, at this moment in 1979 is on one of the biggest shows on television, Eight is Enough. And he's, oh, he's a widower dad. He yep. He's a widower dad. And his he has two sons, Vincent and Tim, in real Wait, life. Dick was a powerhouse Dick was, back then. At Dick that was time the dad period. at the moment. I think yeah. Dick and Tom Bosley on Happy Days yep. were like the dad, or, and probably James on Good Times. Those were like the dads at the moment. And so Dick Van Patten was a big deal, and his two sons were getting into the industry at that moment. Yep. And that's basically how Vincent got in his foot in here. Um, Where is Vincent Van Patten now? Right. What else did he do? Dude, he did Hell House. Yeah, exactly. He did. He, I mean, he's done some work. If you look at his IMDb, but there's is nothing. Is he running else. the dog food company for his dad? I wonder now. Is his dad have a dog food company? Mm-hmm. They oh. started like a healthy dog oh, natural food choice company. or yeah, something, like, something of their own. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It has his name on it. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, yeah, he's probably doing that because he ain't doing movies. So, thank God. Thank God. <laughs> uh, Clint Howard's here. Corman veteran. Ron Howard's brother. I was introduced to him when I watched Gentle Ben. Love Gentle Ben. I haven't seen Gentle Ben. The it bear was an one? old TV show, and the kid was had a bear. A bear. His friend was a bear. <laughs> when you could domesticate a bear and have adventures, like a real bear or a yeah. teddy bear? No, a real bear. Yeah. Oh man, it was like, that was the there great was no thing CGI about, back then. What was the dolphin show that used to have? Flipper, like, Flipper. You know? Oh, there's BJ and the bear. There was no CGI back then. <laughs> oh no, uh, you know we had Clyde the orangutan and yeah. the every which way but loose. You know yeah. you had to actually work with the animal back then. Yeah. Like I don't know, working with a bear, being a little kid. Clint Howard. I love his tooth gap. Here's here's a funny one about the cast that I absolutely love. Mary Warnov is Principal Togar. Mm-hmm. What else has she done? Dude, listen to this resume. This is this is where this is where this podcast gets fun. She was one of she was one of Andy Warhol's entourage. Oh. She rolled really? with the Velvet Underground. Yeah. Wow. Well. Prior to being the principal in rock and roll high school. So she goes, she, she moves to L.A. in the mid-70s. She starts doing Corman movies. She's Calamity Jane in Death Race 2000. You're going to hear me mention it a lot because I love that movie so much. But she's terrific in it. She's one of the racers. She races against Stallone and, and Carradine. And it's kind of stunning to me that she's supposed to be this authority figure. And I'm like, yeah, this is the woman making cult movies. And she's an, an amazing sculptor. And she's in, you know, Warhol's crew, Good hanging actor. out with the Velvet Underground. Yeah. But here she's going to moralize everybody and tell them they can't listen to rock and roll when really she's the most rock and roll person here. That's funny. Oh, and here, here, here's, here's one you're going to love. You know Mike's mom that wouldn't give him a Pepsi? Suicidal uh, Tendencies? That's her? That's her. Uh. She's in the music video for Institutionalized. She's his mom that he's arguing he wants a Pepsi to and she's ignoring him. That's funny. <laughs> Mary it's Warnoff. It's like Twisted Sister using the actor from... Using the Animal House guy. Animal House, yeah. yeah. Mary Warnoff, we love you. You are amazing. No, she's powerful. How long after you saw this film did you start playing music yourself? Like, I know you say like it Like right away. Yeah? Yeah. Did you pick up drums first? No, I didn't play drums until I was 25. I used to play guitar. Okay. I played guitar and bass. And I would wake up like at 6 in the morning before I'd go to school just to listen to my CDs. Like I, back in the day, I had I had CDs yeah, when I yeah. was a kid. Um, but yeah, I learned Ramones songs. That was my first band. I had like a Ramones oh, cover band, okay. and that's when I I knew Pat played guitar, 
and I ran into him in the hallway and I just, I, I'm not very shy at this point. So I go up to him and I'm like, Hey, you, you want to be in my band? And I'm like, give me your phone number. And he gave me his number and we did. That's the first time we ever met or hung out when I, I demanded him to be in my band. Wow. Yeah. You demanded. And you'd seen hey, him play? I had seen him play. He was in a band with a bunch of his friends and they would cover Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin. I, re I remember uh, the biggest song they would do at like these high school assemblies was Helter Skelter. Nice. And um, he also did the Jimi Hendrix national anthem at like uh, a pep assembly. Wow. And like, it was so funny. Half of the teachers were like, yes, this is great. Oh, this kid's so good. And like the other half of the conservative teachers, uh -huh. oh my God. I think they sent a letter home to his parents. Yeah. It's Arizona. Air, mm, true, yep. true. Mm -hmm. Was he doing all of his moves back then as much, or did he that didn't, come I mean, later? It's, or it's with, just with, him. I don't know yeah. how to explain him because he's, he's a never phenomenon. stood still. Yeah. He has never stood still. Yeah. And so the first time I ever saw him play like a show show, same thing. He's just, he can't stay still. Yeah, yeah. You know, I know some people are like, he needs to tone it down. He needs set down the I just worry about he his can't. knees. I worry about his knees. His knees are fine. <laughs> he takes care of himself. He does. He's a phenomenal talent. Gosh, songwriter, artist, just all of it. That's pretty crazy. And you guys are high school sweethearts. Well, we didn't date back then. Oh, you know? Oh. No. We knew each other for a brief moment, and then we went on, did our own, own things, and uh, seven years after that, we ran into each other. And that's when we started dating and we moved out here. So we are a San Diego band, San yes, Diego born are. band. Yeah. I, love it. I would argue I booked the first schizophonic show here at the Casbah. I think. I think you did. Yeah. Probably, Probably on one of your Mondays. Yep. Mm -hmm. Thank you for doing that. You definitely don't need to be playing on Mondays anymore <laughs> at the Casbah. No, they play Fridays now. Yeah, and Saturdays. My birthday was a Monday. That was a blowout. That was, that a, was a unique that thing because it was your birthday. Yeah. And yeah, that was awesome. That was super fun. Robert was down here. We had a whole, no, a whole that was thing. A, that was a special night. Yeah. And you're still out skateboarding a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I can't stop. That's amazing. I can't. Your friend stop. O really helped you out quite a bit. Our friend O helped you out quite a bit. O was, he was my buddy, man. We, and especially during COVID, we couldn't play. And especially he and I, and I told his wife this, I'm like, I mean, he and I were very similar in the way that we're just social bumblebees. So when COVID happened, you know, we were just always out and we couldn't come here or right. gather. So we were always at the skate park. That's where I learned to shred. Learn to shred. What's your favorite park in San Diego? Um, I like the pump track. It's easy. It's not really like a park. It's more just like a little pump track. I need to go up there before I get too you much go? older. I do. Yeah. I'm going to go with you. Let me know. Okay. All right. I got ex extra wrist guards for you. Thank you. I probably <laughs> need that. And some just butt protection. Just in case. Yeah. 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 I've, I've got some nice boards. Got some Sector 9s. I got a board. I'd be happy to yeah. give it a try. Graham, you up for that? I don't know. No, I would track? fall off and crack my teeth off. No. Yeah, we don't want that. <laughs> Was there any skateboarding in uh, rock and roll high school? I didn't see any. I did not see any. I love the mixture of the what a crowd was like. Oh no! Back wait a minute. Then. There is um, when the kids take over the school near the end, and there's a motorcycle riding down the hallway. There's two girls with water ski lines, 
and they're oh, skateboarding oh. behind the motorcycle <laughs> as he's pulling them down the hallway. There is that brief moment. There is. There's so much inspiration for like, oh, I got to do a music video and incorporate that like that kind of scene. Like when the Ramones are being pushed down the hallway. Thank you. I was just about to say that. That is is so good. Thank you. It's my favorite moment in the movie. She's she's like, well, the school is yours. She's she's introducing them to the high school, and then slam cut right into that scene where the stage is crawling down the hallway. Yeah. The guys are out front. Marky's on this on the stage, and the crowd is behind them, and PJ's dancing. I mean, that is iconic. It's incredible. Do you want to dance? Yeah. Fuck yeah, you want to dance? Listen to this. Are you kidding me? I want to go burn my high school down right now. It's still there and I want to blow it up. Like, it just amps you up. That scene is so good the way the camera crawls up. It's so good you can't believe it's in a low-budget Roger Cormick movie. This is something that's in a a Back to the Future-style budget movie. And they're doing so much with so little here. It's amazing. And it's like simple stuff. It, It looks like it's just like a... Like a like a piece of plywood yeah. or something uh-huh. with wheels on the bottom. Yep. Someone's rolling the drums, yep. and the guys are just walking in front of it, and the camera's rolling back as they come at you. I love that, and I love and the way it's edited is perfect because it there's the shot of it coming up the hallway. It cuts to some girls dancing on the stairs. Yeah. And then boom, it cuts right back to them on down on a platform, down on like the you know whatever that is, the yeah. middle part of the stairs. No, and they're all just partying. They're all congregated around the band at that point, and they're partying. And, oh, my God, it just all of that is fantastic. No, it makes me want to make a music video. <laughs> well, that was the dawn of the music video age right then. Yeah. I, can't, I guarantee you some music video directors stole some stuff from that for their videos. They had to have because it was just so good. Oh, definitely. And there's, there's that whole... There's a 10-minute Ramones concert right in the middle. Right in the movie. middle. Yeah. One song has... Uh, Karaoke style lyrics going across. Yes, I saw that. So you could sing along if you wanted to. I I was fascinated. But just that one, that one song. It goes on for ten minutes, though. I was really surprised by that. I was like, "There's five songs. It's like it's a plot point that we're going to the Ramones concert, but we as the viewers actually get a Ramones concert. Like we get a nice little ten minute Ramones concert." And, you know, it's funny because we kind of see Kate loosening up as the concert goes along. You know, she doesn't dance a lot at first. She doesn't seem like she quite knows what she's doing. But by the end of the movie where they're blowing up the school and they're playing rock and roll high school, she's full on spinning, shaking her thing. <laughs> like, she's cut loose by the end. Like, so this experience is good for Kate. Like, she needs this. Riff, Riff's a good friend in this. It's like Cameron with Ferris in this regard. Like, yeah. She needs to get her out there and spread her wings because she's awesome. I mean, I bet this movie did that for for all like the kids that watched it. Yes. I mean, I know it did it for me. Like I became way more obsessed with the Ramones after this movie. Absolutely. I ran right out and bought Ramones Mania. I, <laughs> I, I didn't get into it in high school. It was right after high school. And uh, Ramones Mania had just come out by then. And yeah, I watched the movie in the video store I was working at. And I was just like, oh my God. I just ran right out and bought Ramones, Ma- Ramones Mania. And I was just immediately in love. They were just incredible. Did you ever get to see them live? I never did. Did you? Oh, I, on the last tour. They, so their last tour, I think, was the Lollapalooza 96. Uh, it was when Metallica that. and Soundgarden yeah. were headlining. I think Dee Dee was out by then. I think CJ yeah. was there. I saw that up at uh, Irvine, I think it was. You saw it, that didn't, tour? it didn't come to San Diego. That was the only time I got to see the Ramones, and I never stopped smiling the whole 30, 40 minute set, whatever it was. Yeah. I was so excited. I loved the energy. I 
I hadn't been to a lot of punk shows by then, but the energy of just one, two, three, four, do you do the song? And then just boom, right into the next song. Like no breaks. Like yeah. I just loved it. I was just like, and I was like, oh, you know. Well, I mean, I, the Casbah produced some of the earlier shows. I saw him in 91 at a former teen dance club out in East County, Casa de Oro. It was called, it used to be called Stratus. But in 1991, they had, I think it was 91, something like that. They had two shows there. Uh, the Ramones played, and then a couple weeks later, it was Big Audio Dynamite. Kind of bummed I didn't go to Big Audio Dynamite, but did see the Ramones at this former uh, teen dance club. How many club. times it, did you see them? Maybe three or four. Okay. I'm trying to think. Maybe another Lollapalooza or something, but not. I didn't go down to Iguanas. I bet they, I'm pretty sure they played down there too. I, I think, think Porter saw them at Iguanas. Yeah. But definitely saw them a few times. Just an amazing live act. So amazing. I'm so sad that three of those guys are gone. Oh, I wish we had more of them still yeah. around. One of my favorite things to do is if I'm in Hollywood, I go to Hollywood Forever Cemetery, and Johnny Ramone has, he's not buried there, but he has an amazing uh, statue, right? Yeah, Just it's like the waist Really up. cool. Like he's got the guitar. Yeah. And then over on the other side of the pond, Dee Dee is buried with the headstone with kind of the Ramones logo. And that has like girls lipstick marks all over it and cigarettes left for like all this little <laughs> stuff there for him and there's that's my favorite place to go because uh vampire is there get smarts there mickey Rooney. it's just fun to go but any ramones fan should make that pilgrimage to uh to hollywood forever for the the johnny statue is is really so cool so what's up with that if he's not buried there why does he have a marker there that's there's, being a new york guy story, that seems yeah, a little weird is, you know because he was a california guy it ended up being here okay. and i think it Something is through his wife. I think his ashes maybe with her. Okay. Possibly. He was, he was in the Marines, wasn't he? Well, yeah. That That is a fascinating thing to, you know, because he's a, he was a major Republican. He was a Republican, yeah. He's uh, wearing that Marine he's shirt. He's wearing the Marine shirt throughout the film, yeah. which I was like, oh, I don't know. I mean, that didn't really cause any red flags at right. the time. Right. Mm -hmm. The t-shirt game is on point, by the way. Yeah. Dee yeah. Dee's got the Amsterdam shirt. Yep. And Marky's got the Joe Cool Snoopy shirt. Yep. They're killing it on their shirts, man. As a t-shirt guy, I appreciate that. Yeah, so, <laughs> very interesting. It's a, good to revisit the film. The uh, I do have something about Kate buying those tickets. Or not Kate. Uh, Riff waiting to buy those tickets. That so couldn't happen today. That whole scene. Like, kids today just can't even understand going and camping out and waiting for tickets for the band that you love. Like, staying overnight. Well, working at the record store, we have record store day now. Okay. And I'll, I met that kid in the front. The what kid that was, was there, there like at 8 p.m. The, the night before? Yeah. yeah. Stayed the night to buy records. Yeah, this last record store day, there was like some rare Taylor Swift thing. And Taylor Swift does this thing where each record has a piece and you're supposed to collect all these pieces to create one giant picture with them. So that's why the kids are really like, I need this record store day one. And we had kids camping out from 8 p.m. The Swifties. Yeah, the Swifties, man. I, I, as much wow. as I don't know her songs very well, but man, she has gotten so many young kids into record collecting and getting into that culture of like, I'm going to fucking camp out because I really want this piece of music. Yeah. Which, I mean, it, it, that music isn't for everyone, but at least she's getting these kids involved in something. Right. Yeah. I, that's actually, I've come around on her a little bit. I've, you know, I was always like, she's just grinding an ax with her lyrics. Yeah. She, don't date her. She's going to do you dirty Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> like, you know, I was always on that tip. And uh, at Soda Bar, we've started hosting these Taylor Swift nights. 
And it's, oh yeah, what is that? So they they play her music all night. It's her music. <laughs> I heard about people this. People dance to it. Oh my god. Okay, yeah. So when we first is it insanely packed? Yes. Oh geez. They always sell out. So we started throwing these club nights over there, and it just turns into a girls' night out. It is straight up girls' club. It's ladies' night. That's like, hilarious. There's like 200 straight girls. There's like. 20 gay men <laughs> and like and like five straight guys that were dragged by their girlfriends like it is truly a girl's party and they just let their hair down they scream every lyric they take shots all night oh my goodness they're not beer drinkers they're <laughs> yeah. shot takers and they have such positive attitudes it's mind-blowing that's like, hilarious yeah it's like you know we we've had bad bunny nights and we kind of stopped doing those because the crowd was, was it a, a little gnarly yeah the crowd <laughs> is a little bit not cool and in not tipping attitudes all that stuff but the taylor swift crowd is the exact opposite they're super positive they're smiling all the time like and i'm just like hey man if she's putting out that kind of energy that gets her fans to act like that yeah i'm 100 percent on board with it well, right. I remember during the last election, she got, I think, 150,000 kids to vote right. in 24 or to register to vote in 24 hours. That's mad power. Yeah. She's, I mean, I've come around. She's uh, our, our production assistant at Soda Bar went to her uh, show in Phoenix and just said it was incredible. He said she did 40 songs. Shit. And that's some Bruce Springsteen shit right there. <laughs> like, I mean, props to her, man. I'm not into the music either, but if it's putting out that kind of energy and she's getting kids into music that are yeah. going to turn around and buy a Velvet Underground album or a, or a Bob Dylan or whoever, Vampire Weekend or Gogo Bordello, whoever, right? just go get into something. Chicano Batman, just go get into something cool. Like, right. I, think I bet they're not going to buy any 1975 records anymore. <laughs> well, they that broke, happens. They broke up, I think I heard. No, that's what I mean. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think the, the 1975 is going to be okay. I think they'll be all right. Uh, did you know Dee Dee Ramone was such a bad actor that his lines were cut from seven down to two in the dressing room after the concert? Hey, pizza, and hey, pizza, it's great. Let's dig in. Um, We were cracking up at the acting. It just they have those old New York accents. You know, Joey they're Candy. so rare to uh, yeah. hear nowadays. Joey mangles Mr. McCree's name. When he tells Riff, yeah, we'll come down to the high school for you and Mr. McGrew. <laughs> he, he can't even say the name. And it's probably because his mouth is full of riboflavin and wheat germ. Yeah. Like his manager's shoveling it into his mouth. No pizza for you, Joey. Yeah, they're feeding him like he's got special needs or something. Outside of the rat, I think that's the most rat. random moment in the whole movie. <laughs> like, it's now like, what is going on? They were paid $25,000 during the 21-day shoot. D.D. Ramon got arrested for fighting with a roadie, overdosed in jail, and wound oh up in Cedars Sinai Hospital with a $3,000 medical bill. They also, at that time, had to play shows in Southern California to pay their hotel bills. You would think the best part of that sentence was he got in a fight with a roadie, but it's not. It's the <laughs> overdosed in jail part. What did like, he overdose on? Yeah, somebody had junk up their butt. Oh. <laughs> I mean, seriously. TD was getting high on jail smack. TD oh, man, I love that guy. I have his hip hop record. <laughs> I mean, oh he looks God. good in the movie. Yeah. For knowing that that had happened, jeez. I was kind of surprised at PJ's reaction when she pulls the shower back and Dee's there playing the oh, bass. Oh, she loves it. <laughs> she's a jo but she's a Joey guy. But she looks at Dee like, let's do this. Like shower with a friend. Like it's cheaper. Uh, so fun. So rock and roll.
And there's, uh, oh, God, what's the guy's name that's the announcer? Don Steele. The real Don Steele. Don Steele is. Real radio DJ. He is a real yeah, radio yeah, DJ. Yeah. So it's it's funny because his uh, filmography is that guy. Yeah. He's the announcer in Death Race 2000 once again. Yep. God, Jeff Doom, we need you to do Death Race 2000. <laughs> he loves that movie. We may have to call him in to do that I, one. Now I want to watch Death Race. Oh, it's incredible. It's another one of those they can't make today. No. Because you're getting points for running over children uh, and old people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like they did try it's to like remake it. like a video it. game. Yeah, they tried to remake it with Statham 20 years ago, and they totally changed the plot. And it's a yeah. prison plot, and you're not running over people. And it's just lame. It's 70s, it, man, were such a good time uh, it, for It loses making. all the satire and the dark humor of it. It's yeah. just not even there. Everything's so safe now. But Don Steele is the announcer in that one. He's... Screaming Steve Stevens here. Yeah. And then in your uh, Gremlins, once again, Joe yeah. Dante is on this set. He's rocking Ricky Rialto. He's the guy on the radio yeah. when Billy Peltzer and Gizmo were riding around in the car oh. trying to escape the Gremlins. And he's the guy talking on the radio. Wow. So he has this announcer thing. He's yeah. That's his jam. Yeah, that's he, what I he, mean, does he was on known screen. for being a radio DJ. Yeah. That's the guy. And he has a really funny line at the end where he's talking about the showdown at the end. And he's reporting live, and he calls it a classic confrontation between mindless authority and the rebellious nature of youth. I love that. <laughs> it's almost Shakespearean from, from Don Steele right there. Because it really does encapsulate the movie. That really is sums up the movie in a nutshell. Totally. Now, did this show, like, in regular theaters in 1979, or did it have more of a, like, a grindhouse kind of theatrical run it was, so it was the corman film so it was definitely a grindhouse release where they would release it in certain parts of the country first right now arkish talks on uh several interviews about this where they really fumbled the beginning of this i can't even believe they tried this they instead of taking it to chicago or new york or la where punk was a thing and you know people would show up they trotted it out in new mexico what? Yes. The Ramones didn't even play there. And if they did, they couldn't draw 100 kids. Like, right. And Texas, Weird. also not terribly punk friendly. No. So they tried the movie out there. And of course, it's stiffed. And it's like, you know, they're looking at, oh, my God, this movie's going to bomb. This movie's great. Come on. We got to make this work. Then they figure it out. They take it to New York. They take it to San Francisco. And it, it pops, of course, because all the punks show up. Because right. that's actually where the punks live. They don't take it out to the desert. Come on. No. So they really muffed the rollout on this one. Yeah. But so it, it was a little popular as a grindhouse film on, you know, on the screen. But I think in the 80s, when it would pop up on cable, I think that's where it really found its sure. life. I, I think that was where I first saw it. Maybe Night Flight on USA right. Network late at night. They yeah. would play stuff like this. I think that was where I first saw it. But it didn't register with me. I wasn't a Ramones person yet. I think it took Pet Cemetery. I think. Oh <laughs> yeah. I think in '89 when they did the Pet Cemetery song, and I that was my favorite book when I was a kid. That says something about me. And <laughs> and yeah, it was the Ramones, and uh, they were doing that Pet Cemetery theme song, and I was just like, at that moment, I was back in on the Ramones, and yeah, the Ramones are fantastic. So fun fact. Yes. One of my friends here in San Diego, her name is Gail. She owns the Girl Can't Help It Vintage Boutique in North Park. Yes, I know that one. Her and her cousin were huge New York City kids. They would go to all the punk shows, huge groupies for the Ramones. They would always go see the MC5. You used the G word there, groupies. Well, not like in a bad way, but you <laughs> right. know, like they, they were at every, every show. Yeah, they were like band Almost famous. Yeah. Um, but her and her cousin is the inspiration for PJ. 
They are the Riff Randall. She is Riff Randall. Riff Randall lives here in San Diego. Yep. She managed it. Sparkle Gale uh-huh. runs the girl can't help it. Yeah. Yeah. She, her and her cousin is who uh, Riff Randall was based off of. Okay. Yeah. So she met. So you she said, used to manage the New York Dolls. She was great friends with all these bands back yeah. in the day. Arkish mentions on one of the interviews that the inspiration for Riff it was a manager for the New York Dolls. Yeah. So this is her. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. Why do we have her on? <laughs> oh, you should. Yeah. I think we will. Well, she's no, got stories. Maze? She's got stories for days. Our our, our Capitan Maze. He he wants us to bring in some local business owners and stuff. I oh, think yeah. we'll probably do that at some point. With a story but... like that, are you kidding me? Well, uh, random. I don't. I don't even know how they know each other. But um, I got to meet um, Angie Bowie. They're good friends. Yeah. Yeah, she was doing a book reading at the at the vintage shop. Wow. Wow. Better stay on top of what's going on at that spot. My goodness. They do shows out on the street frequently. I think you've been that, spotted. That's Bobby and the Pins have played there. Yeah. Being that we're a music venue, we have to talk about the Rockometer. <laughs> I almost oh, forgot yeah. about the Rockometer. <laughs> so when there's a, there's a scene in the movie where Principal Togar is called in the gym teacher and, and Paul Bartell, Mr. McCree, the music teacher, and she's she's showing them the effects on mice of the Ramones music, and next to the cage is a rockometer. And as she turns up the volume, you see the names of the artists on the rockometer. And I love how the Ramones <laughs> is number one. Ramones is. I a, think the Who was number two. Uh-huh. Right. Yep. And I, I, I was like, oh, dude, I love so that I the Ramones is like. A, what is it? So we start with at the bottom. With Muzak, Elevator Muzak, of course. That's where it should be. We've got Pat Boone, and we've got Debbie Boone, Donnie and Marie, and then Kansas. Poor Kansas gets put on the soft end of this thing. Like, Did they deserve that? I don't know. I I felt they were a little low on here. I mean, I know Dust in the Wind is a, you know. (laughs) And and then it goes Peter Frampton, Foreigner, Jethro Tull, which I thought should have been a little lower on the list, but... Not above Foreigner, certainly. And then we go Led Zeppelin, who really probably should have been near the top. Yeah. And then we got Ted Nugent. Uh, who cares about Ted? Uh, <laughs> Ro- <laughs> Seriously, he's a dick. Rolling Stones are next, which uh, eh, seemed a little high for them, too. And then, yeah, The Who, obviously. And then, yeah, the Ramones were on top. The Ramones are just, like, checking The Who. They're just like, yeah, you think blowing up drum kits is loud? Yeah. We're louder. Like... <laughs> It completely ignores Black Sabbath, by the way. But Riff does not ignore Black Sabbath. She's got Never Say Die posters on her wall. Like, right. Riff's poster game in her bedroom is on point. I noticed that. Did you notice that, yeah. too? Oh, of course. She she has like a Molly Ringwald and 16 Candles level or Ferris in Ferris Bueller's level <laughs> badass bedroom. She's got rock posters all over her bedroom to the point that she even has an Al Jarreau poster. What the hell? I missed that Al Jarreau. There's an Al- that was the one that blew my mind. I was like, I have to mention this. There's an Al Jarreau poster in the middle of her Black Sabbath and all these hard rock bands. She's got a smooth jazz vocalist right in the middle of all of it. Riff is versatile. She is seriously versatile music, music fan. All right, Letty. Well, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us about Rock and Roll High School. This was, this was something that was so long planned. It was synergy. We knew you would pull it off. I knew you'd bring your great energy in here. And we, you did us a favor on this one. We called you in 
and said, we got this movie we want to do. You made it happen with us. Now we owe you one. So we're going to call you back in the not-too-distant future. Okay. And you're going to get to do your choice. Do, okay. Do we tease them? Uh, do, do we give them a tease? You've already <laughs> told me what it is, and I absolutely love this movie. Which one? I don't even remember. Are we going to talk about Jake Ryan? Oh, that's one of my favorites. You did mention yeah. to me that that was the one you wanted to do. So we might have to talk about the hunky Jay, Jake Ryan, because... Uh, Jake Ryan and Samantha Baker are, are are a hot couple by the end of that film. Yeah. So we might have to do that. But we it could change. Okay, it could it change. It could change. We're not going to hold you to that. All right. But we're not going to say the name of the film. But those of you who are hip know what I'm talking about. I love that movie. If you choose it, it's going to be amazing. I can't wait to have you back here. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me in the first place. So you're home all summer. Home all summer. And writing new material, recording another album. You yes. Say? Or we're going to be writing and then recording. And then uh, in the fall, you're going to be touring again? Yeah, we're doing a U.S. tour and going up to Montreal and Toronto with the Chats and the Cosmic Psychos. This is now probably the biggest American tour you've done. Correct. Or will be doing, right? Yep. On a level, I mean, those chat shows are ridiculous, so I can only imagine. How many weeks are you doing with the Chats? I believe it's five. Holy cow. This is really exciting. They're such great people. I love that band on stage and even off stage. They're just, it's like a little extension of the family now. So um, that's going to be super fun. The energy, San Diego energy all over the world with what you guys do because it is a phenomenon. Pat Beers is, I mean, I honestly, I've never seen anything like that in my life before. He is just a phenomenon in of his own and such a great songwriter and performer. And anybody that ever gets a chance to see this guy, their their mind will be blown, as most people in San Diego have. I do want to do two dedications on our first episode before we get out of here. Number one, we are music, uh, live music employees. This is what we love. This is what we've given our life to. And we love and respect the people that do it around the town. So from the Casbah team to all the venues around town, Belly Up, Soda Bar, Brick by Brick, the, the Amphitheater, the Ratty Shell, like... Those guys, they're all us. We're the same people. We all do this because we truly love live music. So every time we trot out this podcast, it's going to be with those people in mind. They're us. You know, we love those people and we respect what you do. And we're happy that you're there doing because live music doesn't happen without the people working the stages, working the soundboards, working the aisles. It just yeah. doesn't happen. They're the heartbeat of everything. And we want to dedicate this to them. Um, big shout out to all those those staffs at those venues. Also, a very sincere, just sign of love and respect for the people that we've lost over the last few years. This is our first podcast. This is most definitely dedicated to our man, O, Gabe Serbian, Matt Hoyt, Dustin that worked with you at Vinyl Junkies, so many others. We've lost some people that we dearly love, and they would have been a part of this. They would have loved it. We miss them every day. We've got a big picture of O up front now in the front room. We miss him dearly. Yeah, this is dedicated to them. And I Bob mean, is looking over us from here. Uncle Bob watches us every yeah. single taping. And that guy, I miss him so much. I wish he was still here working the back bar. He's an amazing He human was a wonderful guy him. that brought yeah. an amazing energy. Bob would come up, drunk off his ass during the most fun show ever, be it Jesus Lizard or whoever, and I'd be working the stage, and he'd put his arm around me, and I was just a rookie. I, I was nobody here. I don't even think Mays knew my name. <laughs> and Bob would come up and put his arm around me and smile and say in my ear, I can't believe we get paid to do this. Aww. 
And that pretty well sums up the whole vibe of working here at the Casbahs. There's times that I just can't believe we get paid to do this. I've never stayed working anywhere more than four years, and I've been here 15 years. Nice. I mean, that kind of says something. I've been at Soda Bar for 10. I mean, I love what we do. I dearly love it. I, I, it's wonderful. I, my mom was a nurse. I kind of feel like this is what we do. We help sure. people. We, we give them a break from their everyday lives, and they get to come here and forget about it, and it's wonderful. I'm well, blessed I get to book bands here and help Tim Mays, who's such a legend in this community, and, and give new bands a chance to play here, which it started you know, with Schizophonics. And one of my favorite stories, because they're just everywhere, and they're such a great band. They deserve everything they get, and just excited to be a part of their career path. Well, as a touring musician, we play clubs everywhere. And we, any interview where it, it can come up in conversation, we always drop the Casbah. And I've told Tim Mays, the owner, like, you have something very special here. And every time we walk through that door, the staff here is just on, on point. Everyone knows what they're doing, and they're very nice, and like a... A, a grumpy sound person or just somebody with a bad attitude can really kill it for us as the performers. And there's a lot of those out there. Yeah. I mean, I've toured. I, that, that's the first grumpy guy you get when you get to a venue is the angry sound guy. Yeah. He's always mad about something. Telling you to matter. turn down. It's that's not, not how you. you do it. It's not even you. He's just that guy. Yeah. yeah. And we're not that guy here. Well, our sound guys here and women are awesome. Yeah. No, but Agreed. it's just... The staff here just, it makes for a better show when you're surrounded by people with good attitudes. Absolutely. And I fucking love this place so much. We love you. Uh, Do you guys have a website? Is it schizophonics.com? Yeah, schizophonics.com. On Twitter, the schizophonics. We're on Facebook. Look for an art show from Pat this summer, too, yep. huh? Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Pat's uh, got such a cool, unique style. It, it reminds me. He's just, great. It, it has so much stuff that I love and admire, and I'm. I need a piece. Maybe we, well, we maybe sweet talk him into a logo someday. Like, oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. I, I, love his, I love his style. It would look yeah, amazing. It's uniquely his. It's so cool. Well, this has been Soundchecks Flicks from the Casbah under Jesus with googly eyes. Letty Beer, so nice to hang out with you from Schizophonics. Yeah, always great talking to you guys. Graham, thank you for your deep knowledge of films. Thank you, uh, sir. I learn something every time we do this, and I try to bring something to the table, too, but we appreciate your deep research into each and every film that you've probably seen a hundred times. God, I don't know. You see films every week. You're going to films currently. What are you going to see this week? Uh, I saw Asteroid City. Okay. The West Anderson one. Do you have a review of that? It looks beautiful. It's one of the best looking movies he's ever done. It's also one of the most boring movies he's ever done. Uh, He's Uh, been in a bit of a rut lately. His movies look great. They're beautiful. But French Dispatch and then this one now, they're... I I didn't finish French Dispatch. Yeah, it was kind of boring. And this one's kind of boring, too. Hmm. But it looks amazing. I mean, you can never stop looking at the props, the sets, everything's beautiful, but it's just... Every shot is a still photo, man. Yeah, Yeah. it's gorgeous to look at, but the story is just not there. He needs to stop writing his own movies. He needs to start doing other people's stories. Did you see the AI trailer of <laughs> Star Wars done in the style of Wes Anderson? No. Uh-huh. You need to send that to <laughs> me. Crazy. It's oh, like, I'm goodness. sure it's good. I would see this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, this has been Soundchecks Flicks. Thank you so much, you guys. Uh, more you episodes guys. to come. Always from the Casbah. Thank you, Tim Mays and the Casbah. Buy a ticket to a show and support our staff. Thank you. Hey, SCF lovers, join us next week as we hit the surf with Keanu and Swayze for the 1991 classic Point Break. Give it a watch and come back to see who our special guest is.